What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a jam-packed Thursday night edition of the Two Bucks Sports Podcast. You know, we try and bring our listeners our show on a consistent basis on our usual Wednesday night, but unfortunately, life gets in the way sometimes, and so I'm here with my infamous colleague, Drew Uncle Buck. Welcome to the podcast, sir, and uh, glad to be recording with you tonight on Thursday. Yeah, so glad to be here as well, Rusty. Uh, You know, I take 100% of the blame, even though it wasn't my fault. Mm. <laughs> so That's we, fair, uh, my, sister, my sister's in town, and I've had some truck problems, and so we went to my mom's house and had some meetings in yesterday afternoon, and we just got caught up, and then I kind of got hit with the, are you leaving? Uh, I haven't seen you in so long. And so it was kind of like, oh, crap. Mm. So I was like, well, you're the one that moved away, but... Yeah, it didn't reply. Yeah, so, nothing like a sister or family member to put the pressure on you, man. Yeah, so it's a day late. You can you can write all letters to me if you're complaining. If you want to actually complain, you can write a letter. It's the best way to get to us. Uh, Rusty will put his, his address in the show comments here. If you have anything bad to say, a letter is the best way to get to us. If you have something good to say, we invite you to please comment it on our social channels, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a comment in five stars. If you have anything bad to say, just mail it to Rusty. <laughs> That's fair, and I'll, I'll properly handle it. Uh, it's a great big garbage can out front of my mailbox here in my neighborhood, <laughs> so that's right where we'll uh, – well, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll bring it home and deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Drew, we had a lot of happenings over the last week or so in sports, so we'll go ahead and dive right in. I think you had a question, though. After uh, some of the shenanigans during the NBA Finals. Is that right? Yeah, so I don't know if you saw this, but I believe it was after game number four. Reports got out that the Miami Heat mascot was sent to the emergency room after he was punched twice by Conor McGregor in a failed stunt, some kind of botched stunt. I think that reports came out that Conor McGregor wasn't at fault here for injuring the person. They were supposed to have protective equipment underneath the headgear of the mascot in which they did not provide enough. And so it just made me wonder if you could punch any mascot, any professional sports mascot or college sports mascot, which one would you punch first? Mm. It's another, it's a kind of, we we've got a theme going here where we've done the most punchable faces in the, in the past weeks I just want to know who you would most want to punch out of the sports mascots. I mean, a couple like come to mind off the bat. I think if I had to pick one, it's that little leprechaun that bounces around in Notre Dame football <laughs> games. You know, I've got nothing against short people. My best friend, you, is the shortest person that I know. So oh. I've got nothing against short people. I just can't stand this little bro running around, pretending to be a leprechaun. In short pants. Around the, in short pants. <laughs> And weird hat, a jacket that doesn't fit, I'd punch him right in the face. Yeah, I kind of think that anybody who – a live live mascots are probably a bad idea. Yeah. You know, not animals, but like people dressed up as mascots in which the only thing – like I guess the the point of contention starts with you have to wear a headdress or like Mm -hmm. a – headgear mm-hmm. like if you were just dressed up like a leprechaun and everybody knows who you are your family and your friends and everybody knows who you are that's not cool yeah I, that, that that's never like i don't i would never want to be the mountaineer 
for West yeah. Virginia. Yeah. Like, that just seems like uh, Halloween to me. Yeah, so, but cool I like that, that pick. Is. Uh, as cool as that outfit is, I would have to agree, because part of the allure and cool things about a, it, mascots is anonymity. Nobody knows who you are. Right. It, that is part of the lore. And, I mean, NBA mascots make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, and they work so hard to keep their anonymity to the fact where they actually treat – I was I was listening to a podcast, the guys that that is Grizz for the Memphis Grizzlies. He is not – it's not me that plays the gr- Grizzly. Uh, the Grizzly is a person once I put the suit on, and so I'm no longer me, I'm him. You know, it's like mm-hmm. this whole alter ego thing and real weird psyche that goes on around it. Yeah. The first thing that came to my mind is I would love to punch Lassie at Texas A&M. <laughs> I'm not, that that long haired frizzy dog. Yeah, I'd punch <laughs> that dog. And if not him, then one of those uh, uh, yell leaders. I'd mm. love to punch a yell leader. That's fair. Uh, I struggle with this a little bit. You know, Brutus is a weird looking like you're just walking around with a with yeah. a tree nut on your head. Big nut. Yeah, he's a he's a Buckeye. Just you're just a tree nut with legs. No, don't care for that. The Stanford Cardinal, that tree that oh, runs around, it's tree. just construction paper on a frame. Right. Like, it doesn't even look good. And then lastly, a land shark. Like that's a beard. That's not a mascot. I like I would send that thing to the ER in a heartbeat. Well, the problem with the land shark is it derived from a a genuine place. However, the execution was very very poor. Trying to make that human shark combo weird, happen, they should have just put like a fluffy shark, a plush shark out there, and the let Katy it, Perry sharks. Yeah, that's fine. Let it be for the kids, but you made this, you made this buff man put on a skin suit with a shark head that looked like a can opener, like it was very poorly executed. And so yeah. what derived from such a it, it derived from a good place. I mean, they were honoring a, a former Marine who played football at Ole Miss, who ended up passing away way too soon. And they called him the Land Shark as his nickname. So they tried to the, the, the universe was already in crisis anyways, because everybody wanted a mascot since Colonel Reb was, you know, taken out to the bear. barn. Yeah. And so they very poor execution they should have just left the bear nobody cares about a mascot unless you bungle it the way Ole Miss did yeah I mean there are iconic ones like Brutus is iconic the leprechaun big Al, like you know they've done well the Ibis in uh at Miami so if you have a good mascot they know who it is and then if you have a really bad one they know who it is but like bully and all these people in the middle nobody really cares or knows or whatever yeah I, I, I mean agree. you've got your elite you know your elite is like um What's his name? Mike the Tiger. Like that's yeah. an elite, you know, mascot. Yeah. I love the, the duck. Cougar. Yeah, I love the duck in mm-hmm. Oregon. But mm-hmm. mascots are only a topic when you bungle it the way Ole Miss did. It, and it made them a laughing stock. And for the ones that hate Ole Miss, they they cling to that with more secret. Like they love the fact that to make fun of Ole Miss's mascot more than they love their own children. It's like, oh, <laughs> that's what we're going to hang on to. We're never going to let this die. Oh, woe is It's me. Ole Miss's fault. Mm. Oh, woe is me. Hey, but speaking of, you know, you're talking about how much money mascots make. Uh, I, I saw just this week that the Nuggets mascot clears $625,000 a year, which is more than most WNBA players. 
Well, I mean, I, can you really make an equivalency between a mascot and a WNBA player? I thought it was interesting. I mean, obviously the you know the NBA is a much higher revenue generating sport business, whatever you want to call it. But 625k to put on a suit and dance around, I'd put in an application. Oh, absolutely. You can, can you imagine the stupid thing? I would get punched by Conor McGregor for $625,000 a year. Absolutely. I mean, take Whoever. me out, sucker. Line them up, man. Yeah. Get Mike Tyson. Let's go. I always hate those people making those false equivalencies between mm. WNBA and whatever. Like, I get it. You need to, you know, make more money. But it's a revenue it's a for-profit league it's it's yeah. all depending on revenue if you want the nba to absorb everything your your payroll and everything that's fine but your the nba would only be harming their product and paying their players less yep so it's just like you know rusty you went to college to be a physical therapist i went to college to be an engineer we both know that there was a potentially the, a scenario to where we would make decent money, you know, a, a steady lifestyle. You know, my wife decided to be a teacher. She had a calling to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. She walked into that career knowing that there's no money in it. However, she had a calling for it. Yeah. She has a talent for it. And being happy at her job was more important than anything else. That's kind of what the WNBA, I mean, you know what you're getting into, right? Sure. Like that you only make so much if there's a big withholding problem when it comes to the ownership in the WNBA where where, you know, they're pocketing 90 percent of the money. By all means, fight for that and, and want to be paid a percentage of every dollar that comes into the WNBA. That's fair. That's what the W that's what the NBA did. Mm-hmm. But if the money ain't there, the money ain't there. And don't you may end up risking bankrupting your whole sport. Yeah. So. But yeah, I just thought that was interesting. And you know, speaking of money and and moving and moving parts, I know you saw this. It's the wildest scene. Uh, shout out to our buddy Aaron Timburen up in Boston, the only real athletics fan that I know. It's been a wild week for Oakland baseball. You know, they go from games where they have less than a hundred people there to they did a reverse boycott the other night. Did you see this? Yeah, that is they just have- a. That's just a genius idea anyways. That's what I'm saying, man. It's brilliant because you had over 10,000 people there showing that it was not the fans' fault. It's not a fan issue. And the best part was that to start the fifth inning, they were dead quiet. Nobody made a sound. And then when they got the first out, they erupted with, sell the team, sell the team, to the point that the pitcher called time because he thought his comm had went out. But what had happened – the crowd was just too loud. He couldn't hear the calls coming in. Yeah, so where do you stand on that? I can see it both ways. I mean, you're right. The athletics are terribly run, and a bad product means people aren't going to buy tickets. Mm-hmm. But you just had 10,000 fans show up and put on a spectacle. On a Monday night. You could get into that. 10,000 games. 10,000 people can get into that game for a dollar any night they want to. Yeah. So like, just the whole atmosphere was dead. It's not, it's not the fans fault. It's never the fans fault when a organization is runs that poorly to where you're yeah. not competitive for that long and you have a problem with attendance. But I mean, if you're the owner, it's your team, you know, yeah. you, you can blame owners, somebody else. 
they don't spend money. They decided to, in a saving face move, decided to make to donate all the money from ticket sales to a chair, a local charity. Which, again, just it just the whole thing is botched. Why don't you take that money and pay players? Why don't you take that money and upgrade the team and do things to be more competitive? Not have a a bottom dwelling payroll in a league with a bunch of talent. And Oakland is an attractive place to play. It's out in California. It's great weather. Taxes are a little bit high, but it's a cool place to play baseball. Now you're going to move to Vegas thinking that's going to fix everything. But what's going to happen when you get to Vegas and you don't spend money, you still don't pay players, you don't bring in top-tier talent, it'll be cool and shiny for a year, and then the wheels on the bus are going to come off. And they're not going to want to come to games anymore because the team is bad and you won't do anything to fix it. And the last thing I'll say about it, and I'll turn it over to you, the best part about that was the sign that said Ted Lasso season, I think it was season three. I had it pulled up my phone reset, but it was a sign queuing to a, a specific moment in time. Here it is. Uh, Ted Lasso season three, episode 10, 45 minutes, 40 seconds to 48 minutes, 59 seconds. And it's where Rebecca is shaming the owners with how much more money do any of you ne- really need? Incredible sign game. Yeah, it's great, and it was a great season of Ted Lasso as well. <laughs> Have you finished it yet? Mm-mm. Not yet. I'm working on oh, it, but not man. yet. You got it? Okay. Yeah, so uh, if if the owner of the Oakland Athletics thinks that a sheer change in location changes the outcome of the team next year or in two years, whenever they move, he's mistaken. Because baseball is not any other sport. There is no salary cap. It is strictly money. If you look down, I mean, sure, the Mets have the biggest payroll in Major League Baseball, and they're struggling right now. But it is a money game. It is an arms race in Major League Baseball. There's nothing to stop anybody from paying a ton of money to put together a team. So if you choose to not spend any money on players – then why would I spend my discretional income on going to games? Right. And but and then you're leaving your fan base that, in many cases, in most cases, grew up loving you. Nobody has decided to be an Oakland Athletics fan later in life. Yeah. You know, that's a stupid decision. But you grow up in that community that loves the Oakland Athletics. You're removing yourselves from the community that loves you. So you're going to Las Vegas – where there are no athletics fans. So you're hoping to make new fans, but you want to make new fans while probably spending the same amount of money and putting together the same deplorable team that you've put together the last, I don't know, 20 years. They made the playoffs. Well, they were a part of that Jeter. Three or four years ago. No, they were part of that Jeter flip was the last time that I really remember them being relevant, which was early 2000s. And that was, that was the Moneyball team, right? Yeah. It was Giambi and yep. uh, Chris Pratt and all them. Yep. Uh, uh, so, uh, Chris Pratt, definitely. <laughs> yeah, Chris Pratt could not hit a curveball. Yeah. <laughs> it's so can't relate. It's just it just sucks for that team, and I know what they're seeing. You're seeing, you know, the Las Vegas rate, uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights, who went mm-hmm. to the Stanley Cup in their first year in existence in Las Vegas. But that's just not going to happen. No. Not in baseball. No, it's baseball not. Baseball is such a niche market 
yeah. where it's so dominated by the area in which your team is when it comes to revenue and viewership. It's so localized to where your team is, and you're t- pulling that team out of there and hoping that Las Vegas latches on to you. And Las Vegas is a very transient city. It's very yeah. come and go, and not many people are born and raised and stay there. So how many people really lock on to that team in that area? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and baseball – you know, there's chemistry in basketball and football and hockey, but baseball is such a chemistry driven sport that it's a long game. It's hard to you see all these teams that have just blown all this money on salary cap to lose to a team that's been together for eight years, six years, five years, whatever. Baseball is such a long term chemistry team that you're right. A change of scenery is not going to automatically make them good. It's going to take players getting in the system, playing together, getting used to playing together and building it up. So a, a quick move to Vegas is not going to have them in the fall classic in the next four to five years. If anything, it's going to set them back further as they're having to adjust, bring in new players, new ballpark, the works. You know who the first person I would call soon as I set up a base camp in Las Vegas? Shohei Otani. Bryce Harper. Come Ooh. home. And Chris Bryant, same thing. They're both right. from Vegas. Right. Come home. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of unfolds over the next uh, couple of years. Drew, our, our Grizzlies have been in the news a lot lately. Uh, we'll talk about them a little bit before we deep dive into some of the other news coming up. Um, first of all, did you see Austin Reeves' shoes that came out today? Uh, no, I heard, I saw the headline that he had, uh, been talking with a shoe company out of Japan or China. And they released the images, the prototype and took pictures of him in them today. And if John Morant gets more than about 20 games this year for his gun incident on IG live, the NBA is a sham. My man has a crosshair from a rifle scope on his shoes. So you're going to allow a guy to have a rifle crosshair on his shoes, but you're going to come after my boy who's dancing around with what may or may not be a fake gun, according to his camp. On oh, Instagram. please. That's such a stretch. <laughs> what a crap I'm an, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, the, I'm as big of a John Morant fan and a Grizzlies fan as you'll find, and that is a stretch. It's terrible. Everybody knows what that crosshair is for. He's a, he's saying he's a sharpshooter and trying to get a logo. I Don't it. believe it. He's like, you know, he could have went full on, you know, Anthony Richardson. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have went AR-15. AR-15 yeah. Or Andre Karolico went AK-47. Mm-hmm. He just put a scope on there. So if if you think that that shoe and John Morant's impending suspension should be related in any way, you've lost your mind. <laughs> I was curious what your take on that was going to yeah. be. But speaking I of think, our... Well, my first, my honest take is that they're ugly. They're hideous. So... That's that's really all I've got to say about it. Yeah, they're awful. A Chinese brand. Oh, yeah, hideous shoes. But speaking of our beloved John Moran, you know Adam Silver, the league commissioner of the NBA, said that he had reached a decision. He had gotten some more information and was going to wait until after the NBA Finals to announce his decision about John Moran's suspension. And we still hadn't heard anything. And the best part, Drew, we talked about this, was that he said, I don't want it to be a distraction to the players who have earned the right to be in the NBA Finals. And then what did Adam Silver do? Well, he just talked about it for four or five days. Yeah. So the question was asked. So every year before game one of the NBA Finals, Adam Silver has his what they call it a state of the union. 
mm-hmm. where he just tells the state of the league and answers questions. And a question was asked about John. He said, I don't want to distract from the NBA finals, so we will announce it after the finals is over. But there's, you know, the comments, like there's been additional information, the whole thing. He just kept talking about it all the time. And so here we are. The NBA finals ended on Sunday night, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night. And here we are Thursday at 6:45 PM central standard time. And we have no idea what's happening. You know, the nuggets wanted in five and I was hoping for a sweep just so I would know what the punishment is. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm thinking is that the nuggets won the title. They, paraded today and it comes on a news dump on a Friday tomorrow. Probably. Yeah. Let them get their parade. Let Jokic and them have their moment in the sun. And we'll get to all that here in a few minutes, what that parade was. Cause it was one of the better parades I've seen in a long time. Just the, the happenings all around that. But yeah, I'm curious what they're going to do with him. You know, it's time. We know Adam Silver, you've been sitting on it for two weeks now. It's time to know. I think he, I think John knows. I think it's been relayed. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no reason to think that because maybe if enough people know, you know, it's going to get leaked to Woj or Shams, mm-hmm. but I don't, I think it's, he, he made the comment about his mental health and how he took that into account with, you know, like if we suspend him for a year, he's a guy who needs help. And if you give him nothing to look forward to, you get, like if you just let him roam around aimlessly with nothing to look forward to for, you know, because he's got a 40 game suspension, then that could actually be worse for his mental health and he right. won't get the healing that he needs. So if you say that in one hand, in one instance, you say that, but then you make him wait this out so long, mm-hmm. it seems to counteract the previous statement. So I wonder if it's just going to be, it, I have to think that there's a possibility that John and his camp already know. Yeah, and I think it's going to be closer to that 20 game. He kind of walked back some of that, like you said, that we're looking out for John, his mental health, and all these people that were thinking it was going to be a year anyway were kind of kind of bozos. I, it's not going to jump from eight games to an entire season, but I think, like we said all along, 20, 25 games, and I agree. I think it'll come out tomorrow uh, as, a, as a Friday press conference. He'll, he'll announce it tomorrow. But speaking of Grizz players, it came out this week, and <sighs> – I've got some strong feelings about it, even though I, I'm also a realist. So Jerry West was on a podcast this week. Project podcast P. P. Podcast P with Paul George, the same one that Jerry was on last week. And it was a great episode and was talking about one Kobe Bryant calling him up and saying, hey, I want to come play for you in Memphis. So and Jerry West at this time is the general manager of the Memphis Grizzlies. This would be about 2000 and what do you say? Between 2004, 2006. Yeah. You know, I think they'd probably won a couple titles, but the rift between Kobe and Shaq had gotten pretty bad. And he was just coming on the, through the other side of the Colorado stuff with the alleged rape and the right. settling of the alleged rape. Yep. And I think he was thinking about jumping ship and getting to a, a quieter town. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, and had an opportunity to come play in Memphis, and Jerry West, who worked for the Memphis Grizzlies at the time, said, you don't want to do that. You don't want to come here and play here. You want to you want to stay in a big market where you belong. You belong in a big city. This is not for you. And so I have no vain imagination that Kobe Brown was ever going to be a Memphis Grizzly. 
But he called and asked about it. And one of our own employees on the inside said, you don't want to be here. And that, that kind of rubs me the wrong way. I don't care if the guy's the logo and all that. That kind of pisses me off a little bit. Yeah, so not only did he work for the Grizzlies, he was the guy that would have made it happen. Absolutely. You know, he, I don't buy it. That's what I think. Exactly. I, it, to me, it come off as a little self-serving. You know, Kobe, rest in peace, gone way before his time, can't speak for himself here. And to me, the way the conversation, if I took my Grizzlies fandom out of it, because my initial shock was like, holy crap, we could have had Kobe and Powell here instead of trading Powell to Kobe in Los Angeles. The way it sounded to me was an old man who who felt the need to tell everybody how close him and Kobe are. Hmm. Oh, yeah, we were so close. Kobe called me and wanted me to trade for him to come to Memphis. He wanted my blessing, and it was because of me and my blessing that he worked things out with the Lakers, and he retired a Laker, and that he is a great, one of the greatest of all times and surely one of the top three players in NBA history to start and finish his career on the same team. You know, you know he was always a Laker. Mm. That's something that was extremely special about Kobe, even in my opinion, who – you know, I could rank players if you want to, but Kobe holds a lot of cachet for me because he did. I find it very important to me that you do it for the same franchise. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that means a lot. And so, to me, it came across as a guy who was able to say something without it being actually able to be fact-checked. And so he, he said, yeah, Kobe called me because he respected me so much as a Laker and as a mentor and as the general manager of the Grizzlies, he, he respected me so much that he, when he wanted to get out of the limelight, he called me and only because of me did he end his career as a Laker. Yeah. Like I don't doubt that the conversation happened, but I, I think the conversation went more like this. Dang Jerry, all these paparazzi, I can't get no, I can't breathe. I'm just, you know, it'd be nice if I just lived in a small town like Memphis. Mm-hmm. You know, they probably wouldn't bother me in Memphis, would they? And then Jerry's like, oh, you know, you're just talking crazy now. You know, you want to retire a Laker and be a greatest of all time, but, you know, just let the, let it pass and uh, everybody will forget about it in a little while. Yeah, I 100% Not, agree. It felt like he was trying to be relevant and, like you said, tout that. Like, that's why I let off with I'm also a realist. There was no way Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bean Bryant, was ever going to put on a Grizzlies jersey. Had it been cool, yeah. Would we have won an NBA title? Absolutely. Yeah. But it wasn't going to happen. Well, I mean, no, it wasn't going to happen. And, shoot, if I was 85 years old, I was the logo. I was Jerry West, who, you know, is one of the probably – five most influential basketball figures of all time. Shoot, I'd say whatever I want to say. Nobody's going to check out me. Of pocket. Yeah, I'd be yeah. talking out of pocket on a podcast <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, nobody's going to check me. But as a Grizzlies GM, if you really wanted what's best for the Grizzlies too, even if Kobe offhand mentioned, man, I bet it'd be nice living in Memphis, small town, you know, immediately you're like, you should facilitate that. Make it yes. happen. Yes, like, I get go. you have a relationship, father figure, I don't care. Uh, the Grizzlies are still paying your bills. Come play with us. Yeah. You're, you know what, Kobe? You're absolutely right. Uh, we'll trade uh, 
we'll trade you, I don't know, Drew Gooden. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You, you, you think they'd take Shane Battier? You know? In the twilight of his career, maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Make it happen, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, let's make it happen. Let's get you to Memphis. And, uh, you know, and, and again, you solidify your rec- – your, so you were a great basketball player, an influential front office, and then you brought a title to Memphis by bringing one of the top three greatest basketball players of all time to Memphis. So it could have helped, but I agree. I think it's just some old man talking crazy about his old war stories. And Jerry West did a great job for the Grizzlies. Yeah. He didn't get Kobe all. Bryant, but he did yeah. a great job for the Grizzlies. He helps lay the groundwork that led to our success that we're still having today. I don't doubt that one bit. Yeah. I mean, he he started grit and grind with the Grizzlies. Yep. Long before Chris Wallace waddled up there from Miami. But anyway, yeah. uh, last NBA topic before we move into a little bit of golf talk. Uh, it's looking more and more like the NBA is going to expand in 2024. There's getting some traction that they could add one to two teams next year. And, you know, it always comes up. Vegas is a, is a popular destination. We've been talking about that with the A's. Seattle's been pushing to get uh, their franchise back. Now the Supersonics have moved to Oklahoma City. Louisville, Kentucky is randomly getting a lot of traction. Drew, what are your thoughts? Where do you think those teams are going to be? Well, I don't think there's any doubt. If there is one place that will have an NBA franchise in the next five years, it's Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, there should be a team there anyways. It's too big of a market. It's such a hub for entertainment, culture, and travel, everything. It would be a great place for an NBA franchise. I think if you ask Adam Silver, he would love to have one back in Seattle. Mm-hmm. The f- Fans want it there. They they still ride hard for the NBA in that market, despite the closest NBA team probably being what Sacramento, Utah. Yeah. I don't I don't really Sacramento. I get geographically ignorant up there. Like when it comes to mileage, you know. Yeah. Um. Although I haven't heard Louisville, but that seems cool because Louisville, to me, feels a lot like Memphis, mm-hmm. where it's a a city without another major sports franchise. It's in the South. It's in a state that doesn't have another sports team. You know, as Mississippian, like if we had a, a city that was as big as Louisville, and Louisville is not very big, Mm-mm. but Louisville is a big enough city for a state that doesn't have a pro franchise, that would be awesome to me. Yeah. So the cities that I saw that are getting the most traction, the article that I read this week uh, was Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Mexico City, Montreal, uh, Nashville, Kansas City, Virginia Beach, doesn't really make sense, Tampa maybe, and then Louisville, Vegas, and Seattle. Yeah, so don't don't put a team in Nashville. You'll split the whole state of Tennessee in half, and it will be a bad, bad rivalry. Yeah. Nashville needs an MLB team. That's yes, who needs a baseball. Nashville team, needs absolutely. a baseball team. Um, yeah, I mean maybe I'm a patriot, you know, but I don't putting a team in Montreal or Mexico City does nothing for me. Mm-hmm. I understand what they're wanting to do is they're wanting to gain markets and stuff and you get another canadian market or get your first mexican market and be the first professional franchise or a league with a mexican market you know set set the groundwork yeah i just don't know what it offers to like i don't strike me as a big basketball area right you know 
every year the NFL hosts a couple of Thursday night football games in Mexico City. And it's like impossible to play because the elevation is even higher than in <laughs> Denver. In Denver. Yeah. So it's just like Yeah. I think you will never is- have players play in Mexico City. They would just stay at home. Right. The the most sent- the most logical places are Seattle, Vegas, Tampa in my mind because it's a big sports town with the Bucks, the Lightning, the Rays. The, all they're missing is an NBA team, so I can see them doing like a Vegas Tampa if they're going to do one in either league. But selfishly, because I live on the East Coast and I'm a Grizzlies fan, I hope it's Seattle and Vegas so then we can finally move Memphis to the Eastern Conference where we belong geographically, and we won't get so many late night games. I've seen that if that happens. Obviously, Memphis, and then it's kind of a toss-up between either New Orleans or Minnesota as who would be the other team, because Minnesota's closest geographical teams are Milwaukee and Chicago, which are both Eastern Conference teams. Memphis is obviously the farthest East-Western Conference team, followed closely by New Orleans and Minnesota. Yes, but if you're looking at geographic opponents, the closest opponents for the Grizzlies are the Texas teams. Yeah. So it kind of works against it. I'm I'm not a fan of moving to the Eastern Conference. Mm. You know, I've told I've said this on this podcast before. There's something that and we're going to get into this. Well, I'll talk about it even more in a little bit when we talk about SEC football. There is something familiar about playing in your conference. Mm-hmm. You have you we've went to war in the playoffs with the Warriors and the Lakers and the T-Wolves, and the Thunder, and the Clippers, and, like, Spurs. I don't want to have those, I don't, to me, a playoff matchup with Chicago, or Charlotte, or Orlando, or Brooklyn, that does nothing for me, because there is no history. Maybe it's a history that will develop, and I won't think about it five years from now, but where would we sit right now? Like, we were the two seed in the West. What, are we going to go up? Any in the East? Yeah. I mean, the East isn't as deep. I get it. But I want that familiarity. I want that rivalry that's, that is already brewing. I'm a, I same. I'm a fan of traditional rivals. We'll talk about that, like you said, again here in just a little bit. But for me, it's purely selfish from a time standpoint. I don't like 10 o'clock tips. That's 10 p.m. I, local time for me. It sucks. <laughs> you're absolutely right about that. Now, I, can't, I cannot argue in the slightest about that because – that first round playoff matchup against the Lakers when we had three games that started at 9:30 central yeah. time that was one of them didn't tip off till 10:50 local time and I'm going to stay up and watch it and then I got to go it's a school night I got to go to work tomorrow but I was up <laughs> watching it but yeah. it would not hurt yeah. my feelings at all if that's all of a sudden Chicago or New York or Orlando you know somewhere that's on this side of the country where that tip off become seven and it's just mind-numbingly frustrating speaking of that was when one of our games you had three west coast teams playing and then you had memphis and then they had the game with memphis tipping off at 10 and golden state and sacramento tipping off at 6 30 like that doesn't make any sense any sense it doesn't and it's all about time slot it's it's about tv and so the western conference team is always going to play later and that doesn't you know, that doesn't make me feel any better about what this the one situation you're talking about with the with the two California teams tipping off before Memphis. But that's what it is. And I would love, you know, NBA on 
Wednesday night, you know, on ESPN or Tuesdays and Thursdays on TNT to be in that 6:30 game rather than the 9:30 game. Yes, sir. I get that, but I'm that's can't the only get reason. Excited. <laughs> I mean, I can get excited about Boston or Miami or the Knicks or you know, Milwaukee, but there's just no blood there. There's no skin in the game, you know? Yeah. You know, we play Charlotte a couple more times, so I might get to see him play a couple more times in Charlotte, which is only about three hours away. Atlanta's only about five, six hours away. I could watch us there a little bit more. But uh, really, it's purely a time base. I agree. I'm a right. big fan of traditional rivals, especially with Wimby coming to the Southwest Division. Like, I want to stay with the Western Conference if it wasn't for the late tips. Right. And I'm 100% – opposed to late tips and so yes. you know uh, that that would have to be i'd have to think long and hard if the decision were up to me yeah uh so, yeah purely for a bedtime standpoint for me i'd probably do it <laughs> right you would see like memphis atlanta being like the big regional divisional matchup you know and we'd be in there with atlanta charlotte uh orlando washington orlando that yeah. bunch yeah yeah, my yeah, I agree. I, I like where we are better, but right. um, we might as well go ahead and tackle basketball. We'll put we'll bump golf back a little bit in the in the show docket since we're on a roll. But Grizzlies are rumoring. There's rumors that the Grizzlies are looking to trade up in the NBA draft, which goes directly against what Zach Kleiman said in his exit interviews, talking about we might have leveraged too much on rookies and draft analysis and draft picks. Drew, can you make sense of that? Um, not particularly, other than I know that's been their MO so far. The only reason why it's a surprise is because of the comment that Zach Kleinman said earlier, you know, right after the season ended that you alluded to, where he said, I don't know if it's smart to double down on youth again. You know, we've been so draft heavy and young person heavy, and we've seen how we've, it's kind of resulted in a fizzle out late in the seat late in the season in the postseason when it becomes that crunch time veteran playoff rotation that you need uh you've kind of what was a strength in your bench you lose that depth when you lose when you you know ultimately the rookies get pushed to the end of the bench when you got so many rookies you shorten (laughs) up your bench rotation and so and it's hurt us in the past it's kind of in the mo though of zach Mm climbing to trade up in the draft and what I think would happen, and the reason why I think he may do it, is I don't think it's necessarily picks for picks. Mm-hmm. You look at um, you look at Toronto, and you've they've still got OG hanging out there. They got a brand new coach who's uh, Darko Rajakovic, who was the lead assistant for the Grizzlies, just took the head job at Toronto. Yeah, congratulations, to Darko, man! It's a nice nice step up for him. Yeah, and all. From all signs, he has been an incredible, mm-hmm. incredible coach and player developer for the Grizzlies. Yeah. Just look at the leap that Dez took. He single-handedly attributes that to Darko. And so he's the new coach at Toronto. The report said moving up into the late lottery, middle of the first round, well, Toronto's got the 13th pick. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking at who's in that range that was reported, Toronto's there. And so if the trade looks more like the Grizzlies send three first and a player for OG and 13, you know, you make the draft compensation work and then you throw in some players, 
that makes sense because you're getting a player, but you're probably also getting rid of a player. So you're mm-hmm. it's a net zero when it comes to youth. I don't I think they're looking at it like that. I think the young players, especially the ones they drafted last year, I think a lot of more of them are on the table this offseason than have ever been before mm-hmm. because you've seen what regular season depth gets you. You need playoff playoff right. depth. You know, Miami Heat made the NBA finals without any depth at all. You thought they were a very shallow team during the regular season. They ended up the eighth seed. But then what you found out is you've got enough dudes <laughs> that when you play them 40 minutes, they're going to win a lot of games. Yeah. And so you need to build a playoff depth on yeah. this team. One of the trades that I've seen is kind of interesting to me, and I'm curious if you've seen this and what's your thoughts on it. I don't love it, but I also can kind of see some merit in it. It's trading up with the Los Angeles Lakers, who are at pick 17, trading for Jared Vanderbilt, who is not an offensive stalwart by any means, but he's a better offensive player than Dylan Brooks, but also a plus wing defender. So you trade for Jared Vanderbilt and their 17th pick. And this trade that I saw that worked was for Jake LaRavia, the 25th pick and a first round in 2024. A pick like that I can get behind because here's why Jared Vanderbilt can be that BC backup because he's kind of that three, can be a stretch four if he needs to. And then if BC's out to the all-star break, you've got the perfect guy to fill in there. Then if BC comes back, you trade Jared Vanderbilt at the all-star break or at the trade deadline for a better piece. Yeah, so I saw that same trade. I don't remember who put it out, but it was Jared Vanderbilt, and we also get a first back, and mm-hmm. we send LaRavia in two. First, yeah, we get I the think, first this year. First. We, get the, we get Jared the 17 this year. They get Jake LaRavia, our 25th pick this year, and our first round next year. So basically you're swapping first-round picks, throwing in a first, and Jake LaRavia mm-hmm. for Jared Vanderbilt. And I would take – I would do that trade in a heartbeat. I think so. Because – Solid. I don't think they're – I think it's a backup deal first. Mm-hmm. I think that they really want to take a look at – I think they may try to take a run at somebody big like a Bradley Beal or somebody to that nature. But as a third option to bolster your team, I think that makes this team better. Mm-hmm. Obviously because you're upgrading Jake Aravia to Jared Vanderbilt. Jared yeah. Vanderbilt is a long, versatile four a elite defender and like you said Brandon Clark who is your backup for now is out and so yeah I think it would be a great trade I think it'd be a great versatile defender you could really clamp down a solid wing on any team mm-hmm. using Jared Vanderbilt yeah like you I said he's got length yeah I think that's more one that they're going to pull the trigger on if a, B, and C fail. You know? Yeah, I agree. I, I, the Bradley Beal thing excites me. You know, he's not the Bradley Beal of a couple of years ago, but maybe a, a, a change of scenery, a new place might be a good thing for him. This is if OG says no, you know, DeMar DeRozan, you go after Mikael Bridges, like you kick every tire that you can. And then this is just a draft night trade that the Lakers are serious about trading, you know, trading back into later in the first round if they're trying to, you know, build or do something different. Um, and I think that the Grizzlies will be very active. They There hasn't been a draft in the Zach Common era that hasn't been eventful for the Grizzlies. Exactly. I would, I'd see them targeting, you know, they like to target people. As soon as they fall, they go get them. Yep. And somebody like Grady Dick or, you know, 
take your pick. I can see them loving them. Mm. And so if What's they, that kid if they from drunk, Memphis? There's that one big from Memphis that everybody's super high on. Uh, oh, Memphis. shoot. Yeah, he's from Memphis. Uh, you know, he didn't play, play college, college ball. Uh, yeah, I can see his face. Because all, all I've seen so far this week, and I'm blanking on his name, terrible podcast host. But uh see if I can pull it up. All I've seen is him in uh, photoshops of a Grizzlies jersey. Yeah, but anyway, I that. Yeah, anyway, still an opportunity to move up in the draft for a solid player. But again, I think you have to you have other people tell you no first. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I think they'll be active. I think, you know, I think Tyus Jones and a lot of this is still dependent on what the junk suspension is. I think Tyus Jones is still on the market. I think a lot of people. I think he is regardless. I think he's still going to be gone regardless because he's such a valuable trade option that I think regardless of Josh's suspension, because you can have a guy like Dez that can run the offense until Josh comes back, particularly if it's just going to be 2025 games, then Tyus is more valuable to bring in a guy like OG or Mikael Bridges or whoever. Yeah. Oh, they'd offer the farm for Mikael Bridges. They'd do they it again. To. Yeah. All the picks. All I don't the picks. think Brooklyn trades him now, though. They've already said they're not, and and I believe in them at this point. I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, we'll wrap up our NBA talk talking about – I can't find that guy. We'll talk about the NBA Finals and what was kind of obvious. The Nuggets had too much size for – the Heat, everybody wants to blame Jimmy Butler. I think he just ran out of gas. I mean, he was toting that team more or less by himself, except for the last couple of games where Bam had some big games, you know, big-time points for him. And then does Nikola Jokic, Nikola Jokic, does he actually like basketball, or is it just truly a 9-to-5 for him? Who cares? That's right. been the, it's been funny to watch him. I love like, it. You know, oh, there's a parade? You know, it's it's been great. Mm-hmm. And it, honestly, it's kind of refreshing to see an NBA star being like, yeah, I have a personal life. I want to go home to the farm, you know. Yeah, back to my horse and, <laughs> Yeah, because that's every country boy's dream from where we grew yeah. up, you know. Yeah, we'll go to college. We all come back to the farm, you know. <laughs> and so you, we all relate to that. And yeah. not to take himself too seriously or because he's a celebrity or he's a famous NBA player that he's ever going to be anything other than Nikola Jokic. Yeah. You know, it's great. I love it. Um, yeah. So when we talked about this series to start with, I put a lot of stock in Miami's grit. Uh, and I said Miami in six. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I said uh, the Nuggets in seven. But also said that I would be more likely to choose the Nuggets in six before I took Miami in seven. Mm-hmm. Turns out that Denver was just head and shoulders above them. Like, it, it, it was. It's really just as simple as that. Sports aren't that hard to dissect. You know, you watch those games. They beat them in five games. It was just good morning, good afternoon, good night, back to the farm I go. Mm -hmm. Like, it was was just a beatdown. And as a Grizzlies fan, you look at that and you're just like, okay, well, maybe if we'd have beat L.A., you know, then we'd play Golden State. Ultimately, it wouldn't have mattered because your season ends whenever you played Denver. Yeah. They were head and shoulders above everybody. Yep. 
I agree. They just the size. They they had the great the great pieces. They moved the ball super well. Nobody was going to beat Denver this year, and nobody is going to beat their parade from today for a very long time. Watching the drunk Mike Malone running around trolling LeBron, trolling the NBA, trolling the Lakers. Uh, watching Jokic say, uh, "You know, after being here, I want you to stay and parade. I don't want to go home yet." And then yeah. the best video was Aaron Gordon last night in the streets of Denver parading around downtown with all the fans because all the fans are here and then head and shoulders above them is Aaron Gordon walking down the sidewalk. <laughs> My favorite one is a tweet that I sent you today where a reporter asked Aaron Gordon, said, quote, is it hitting you that you're an NBA champion yet or do you still need time? And Aaron Gordon responded, you want to know what's hitting me? Is those Modellos. <laughs> yeah. For you, Aaron Gordon. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a few things hit like Modellos. I'll tell you, uh, he's right on that. Yeah, it's the number one selling beer in America now and the number one beer for Aaron Gordon out in Denver <laughs> this week, apparently. Is it really the number one selling? It replaced Bud, Bud Light for the number one selling beer in Q2 for the first time, like, ever. Modelo? Mm-hmm. Over, like, Coors and... Mm-hmm. Because Bud Light was such a high above everybody. It's like Bud Light and then Coors and Miller were way down here and Modelo was here, and then they just did this stark swap. Yeah. Well, I figured, like, even, you know, yeah, I know Anheuser-Busch knows, but as far as Mexican beer go, I figured Dos Equis was more than Modelo. But, Modelo's okay. put all that money in those uh, commercials. I guess they've got some traction, and they now are the number one selling beer in America. Oh, hey, me and America agree on something, finally. <laughs> yeah, so. Modelo it is. But, yeah, uh, great NBA season. We'll do some more Grizz talk as the summer progresses. Obviously, we'll talk John Morant suspension as it comes out. The trade deadline, the NBA draft coming up, a lot more NBA news to come. So if you listen to this podcast strictly for the NBA takes, don't go anywhere because we will still be talking about the NBA. But Drew would be remiss if we didn't address still some of the ongoing live PGA merger and the U.S. Open that started today. I don't know about you, but I think that the Los Angeles Country Club might have forgot to turn up the difficulty level on their game today. They might have left it on extra easy because Ricky Fowler and Xander Shoffley made light work of 18 holes today. Yeah, I mean, I I turned it on uh, around dinner time today. Well, I guess it was about two or three o'clock, and Shoffley was just wrapping up on 18, and he they showed minus eight, and he was tied for first. I was like, holy crap, because yeah. you know. It tied the U.S. Open record. And no, the all-time it broke, it broke the U.S. Open record and tied the all-time major record for a 62. In a, and two people did it in the same day. Yeah. Two groups. In the same day. And yeah. Shoffley has been good recently. Ricky Fowler hadn't done anything. He's in like the top 150, but he's just not been playing great golf. And just got on a tear today. You know, I was hoping for more fireworks between because they paired on. You know, they did it on purpose pairing Rory McIlroy and Brooks Kepka together this afternoon. And I was hoping for some fireworks there. But they're, you know, especially, you know, Rory has got that flat demeanor when he's playing golf, the consummate professional. But the highlight in the story was 62, which is just and I, I mean, I've been 62 at the turn numerous times. <laughs> and these cats shot 62 over the course of 18 holes, like it's just unbelievable that these cats 
shot what they shot today, especially after all week long they made a big deal about how deep the rough is and how aggressive these greens are. I don't know if you saw the the video today of Rory on the practice green. He putted off the green only for it to roll down back and come in within about three foot of the cup. Right. I mean, these greens are aggressive. Yeah, it's aggressive, but there are holes out there that can be scored on easily, apparently. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a golf scientist by any means, but it is it, it is a lot easier of a course than what they were expecting to. Uh, what I've read or what I've heard is that there's some changes to be made, and there were some pin placements that some of the players were like, I sure hope they don't put the pins there. That'll be impossible, you know, for the same reason what you were saying with the uh, the greens and how fast they are and how sloped they are. If you put the, the holes there, then it'll all be about impossible to score. Well, they're going to do that now. Uh, there, there's no doubt that they're going to toughen this course up tomorrow. Because uh, if you look sit, back over sit. some of the some of the recent, like in the last 20 years, like the recent total scores to win the U.S. Open were 16 under, 16 under, 13 under, 12 under, 9 under, a bunch of 8 unders. We got guys 8 under today. Yeah. What's, what needs to be noted, though, is that so you got two guys at 8 under – uh, Butch Harmon's at six under, and the rest of them are like four and three, and you, that's not an alarming number, you know. If the average, you know, the average score here being, you know, if you if you take out the two outliers, you know, you're looking at minus five or minus four. That's not alarming. It's the eights that are alarming, and maybe those are just outliers. Roy McIlroy threw eleven holes today is minus five. Yeah. Which is he's on he's on pace to do some real damage here as well. He may be looking at a sixty one if mm-hmm. he keeps it up. But yeah, yeah, uh, I'm uh, you know, we're not I that far removed. In two thousand seven at the Oakmont Country Club, the winning score was five over. Like collective score yeah, was five see, over. See, that's kind of what the that's what like the opens are typically. They're they're really tough courses and harder to score, and so. That's uh, it's kind of shocking to see a minus an eight under, but you know it's golf. Crazy things happen, and what you've got is an outlier. Mm-hmm. These are obviously outliers. Anytime you shoot a, shoot a sixty-two, it's impressive. Yeah. It it should not. You should not say that a sixty-two is not impressive because Los Angeles Country Club has made this course too easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a sixty-two easy. You know, no, 62 no. is never easy. Right. So just throw those out and look at the next high score, which is a, you got a minus six and a minus five, you know, three, uh, four unders and a handful of three unders. And that seems about right. Yeah. That seems about on par, especially with one of the holes. There's a 290 yard par three. I mean, that is, you got to hit a tank off the tee for a 290 yard par three, but Again, some of these pin placements had to be super easy. They weren't really tested the players today. And again, it's outliers. Some guys, you, some days you just have it. And Ricky Fowler had it today. And I like Ricky Fowler personally. I hope it continues. He has a great weekend and, you know, wins some golf that he hasn't played, some winning golf that he hasn't played in a while. But it's just interesting to see a, a score so low, so early in the uh, in the tournament, you know, getting starting day one off like that. But one person who was not on hand to see it was uh, one Jay Monahan, who has dipped 
who ditched the tournament this weekend to deal with some health-related issues. Part of me kind of wonders, you know, was he compromised by the Saudis? Is he worried about this congressional <laughs> investigation that's coming down, which is funny, a one governing body funded by the Saudis is now investigating another governing body funded by the Saudis. And so it just begs the question, did he duck that smoke this weekend to stay at home and take care of some health issues because of the pending congressional uh, investigation, which is probably going to be a big nothing burger, but you never know. Nah, I mean, he's he's definitely resting, but if you told me that he had a heart attack due to stress, I'd believe that too. 100%, especially when you yeah. get that letter from the U.S. Senate that says, we're opening an, a query into this merger that's happening between you and another sovereign nation that we don't have the best history with. Right. It would make right. me lose a little bit of sleep as well. That's fair. But yeah, this merger is, it seems like it's still progressing. You know, Greg Norman has kind of been in and out, in and out. We don't know what exactly his role is going to be. I'm just curious what exactly Congress and the DOJ are going to look into and, and what they're going to find. You know, we've talked about on this podcast, the PGA is one of the more charitable organizations in professional sports, but we don't know how much money they bring in. We don't know what percentage they give away. We don't know where their money comes from. And so this investigation could uncover a lot of unknown that's been that way for a long time. I don't know that it'll get to that point, but I'm curious to see how far this thing will go. Yeah, I, I don't have any idea. Uh, I know it's bad podcast hosts to not have a, a blazing take on every single topic that comes up, but I just honestly have no idea. And to be perfectly honest with you, uh, my interest on it has waned. You know, now we're actually watching golf, and I'm interested in the golf itself, and I'm hoping that I'm loving the fact that we can watch golf and all of the major players play in the same tournament. It seems great. If Jay Monahan has to be the sacrificial lamb, then so be it. So be it. You know, I just uh, I've enjoyed watching golf today. Yeah. And I hope that we forever get to watch the best players play golf in the same yeah. league. I ran into Dustin Johnson, swing coach here today. He lives down here. He runs the Dustin Johnson Golf School, and I know him through some circles. And I ran into him today out in town and tried to get a hot take from him for our podcast tonight, but he was very, very close to the chest, you know, wild time in golf right now, right? A lot of happenings with this merger, huh? He's like, yeah, man, always something going on. I'm like, yeah, I know DJ's probably pretty, pretty happy with how it's working out, huh? He's like, you know, he's, 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 he's glad about it. We'll, uh, he's getting ready to, to play out in LA. So we'll see what happens. I'm like, come on, man, give me something, give me something. Um, but why have you just, not got him on the podcast yet? I, I posed it to him today. He said he'd think about it. Yeah, I'll well, take, get him on the podcast next week or else. <laughs> the podcast's over. I Listen, I, I take any opportunity I can. We'll take any celebrity we can. And I posed it to him. He said, I'll think about it, which I'll take. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm looking through the lineup here, the scorecard here, just look for his name. I've been scrolling for a little while, and I hadn't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> that does not bode I well for Mr. I probably missed it. For Mr. Dustin Johnson. Oh, he's day. tied for six at four under. There he is. Yep. He's, he's yeah. having a good day. He's through 10. He's three under now through 10 right now. Top for seventh. So there he's you go. playing Play with, uh, looks like he's playing with Butch Harmon and Sam Hunt. Is that not Sam, Sam Bennett? Bennett? Sam Bennett. Not Sam Hunt, the yeah. country music star. We're going to, death taxes, and we're going to butcher one name on this podcast. It happens every week. We don't butcher it. We just call it's just the wrong name altogether. 
Yeah, at least we're in the neighborhood. I got half of it, right? Sorry, Pat Monahan. I still apologize. <laughs> yeah, same to Nick Nolte, you know, avid listener of the podcast, wherever he may be. All right, if you made it this far, hang with us a little bit. We got some college baseball to get through because it was an awesome weekend of Super Regionals. And then we'll tackle the big elephant in the room for all of our Southern sports fans in the SEC football schedule for 2024. But, Drew, there was some great baseball in the Supers this weekend. You know, we had one of the best series of all season with Oral Roberts in Oregon. We had Stanford in Texas with the wild ending. Uh, when we finally got Tennessee and Southern Miss after Mother Nature did her best to thwart that, including a seven-inning game, ended up being a great series. Really wasn't any blowout series. Duke-Virginia was really good. Some great baseball played this past weekend, and if you're a fan or not of the sport, I hope you got part of it. Because Again, it was there were some great storylines. Yeah, I probably watched more baseball this past weekend than I watched all season. You know, when Ole Miss is playing, that's what I'm tuned into. I'm not really browsing the league or watching for entertainment of baseball. I'm watching for heartbreak, you know, and that's what the Ole Miss baseball season provided me this year. But I just sat down every night this week and and watched a ton of baseball. I watched a ton of Southern Miss Tennessee. Those were all great games up until the last one, which kind of left you wanting a little bit more. Uh, The series that we previewed at the last podcast that I said whatever about (laughs) was the series that was the most fun to watch in the whole Super Regionals. I watched every pitch. Every pitch. Yeah. Oral Roberts playing at Oregon was incredible. And you did not watch every pitch, and I'm about to prove it to all of our listeners. Oral Roberts went up eight to nothing in the third inning (laughs) against on the road at Oregon and in the sixth or seventh inning, I text Rusty because Oregon comes back and ties it eight to eight. And all I said was, are you watching Oregon? And he was just like, yeah, man, I'm watching it. Uh, they're really getting the break speed off of them, aren't they? And I was like, dude, they're tied. And he's like, Oh crap. I, changed I just switched <laughs> over to the other game that was going on, which I think was TC or it was maybe Stanford was going on. I just switched no, over. You were watching the NBA Finals. I had the NBA Finals we on. And I had finals. and I had I had one other baseball game on my computer. I was just like, I'm just gonna switch over. It's over. And then Drew texts me and calls me out, and I was like, Oh! And so I went, went yeah. back, put the finals on my computer, and watched the end of the game. <laughs> yeah. Right. So Oregon comes back and wins game one, and I. I watched that game and I was like, this is incredible because the SEC feels like we've cornered the market on caring about college baseball, but that stadium in Eugene, Oregon was on fire Mm. that Friday night. It was just intense the whole time. Oregon wins it, holds on. Yeah. Oregon walks it off in the ninth inning only to get walked off against uh, they're up nine to eight in the bottom of the ninth, and Oral Roberts loads the bases and hits a double in the corner and ends it in game two. And then you have just the longest, most pitching changes in the world, game three. And Oregon, of Oregon, when you're comparing them against Oral Roberts, Oregon was the team that run out of pit pitching. Yeah. They just they couldn't get it out. <laughs> I think O'Reilly scored like six runs in the eighth inning because they just couldn't get it out. (laughs) Right. And then the other series that I watched a lot of was Texas and Stanford because, Mm -hmm. like we said, uh, West Coast team 
They got all the late games. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Oral Roberts and, and Oregon ended every night, I flipped over to Texas and Stanford, yeah. and it was just electric. Yeah. You had and walk-offs, I- you had close games the whole time, and then to, to have you ever seen a walk-off pop-up to dead center field? Shallow center field. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just the – I told Rusty, I said, if that would have been Ole Miss, to set the stage – Texas fights back. They were down six to three. They fight back and tie it in the uh, top of the eighth or top of the ninth. I don't remember which one. It was the top of the eighth because the same guy who missed the pop fly that you're going to talk about in a second in the bottom of the eighth hosed a guy at third to end the inning and end a rally that Stanford had to go ahead. The right fielder. Mm -hmm. And so uh, tie ball game, bottom of the ninth. Stanford's got a runner on first and second in two outs. And the pitch is thrown, and the ball is skied. And you know immediately when it comes off the bat, the pitcher throws his one hand in the air, pointing to the ball like it's a pop-up. He starts walking to the dugout, kind of feeling himself. We got out of the jam. Let's go put some points on the board. And immediately the camera, it goes to the next camera showing the outfield. And the right fielder and the center fielder are both standing there planted with their palms up in the trademark, where the crap did that baseball go look? <laughs> and you can see the second baseman running full speed, pointing to the ball, mm-hmm. saying, it's there, it's there, just go look. And then the ball hits the ground. The ball game's over, and I text Russ. I said, if that would have been Ole Miss, you would have found me halfway across the Memphis I-40 bridge just <laughs> ready to jump. <laughs> Yeah, you, I felt so bad for him, man, because, yeah, they're, they're hollering, the ball, 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 but kudos to the Stanford runners because they took off like it was just a regular play, were able to score the winning run as the ball fell haplessly between four Texas Longhorns, horns down as they head back home one more year, and Stanford, a team that neither one of us really trusted, are going to play in Omaha now and face Wake Forest, who put an absolute onslaught on Alabama. Yeah, I they, mean. They just they them. they hit they, they had back back to back to back home runs in two straight innings put up 22 runs on Alabama and oftentimes Alabama football doesn't even give up 22 points they gave up Shoot. 22 runs Wake Forest just looking flexing their muscles as the number one overall seed which if you listen to this podcast you know the last time the number one overall seed won the whole national championship was in 2001 that Miami Hurricanes team but. They looked apart, man. They, they're they deep in pitching. They were absolutely ripping the cover off the ball. And they faced the Stanford Cardinal in the first weekend, in the first of the series this weekend in Omaha. Yeah, so we talked about our favorite series. You know, we talked about Southern Miss and Tennessee and Oral Roberts and Oregon and Stanford, Texas. The rest of them, uh, except, you know, the rest of them were all pretty much dominating. Yeah. Uh, Florida the only other dominated one that South games Carolina. Was- uh, UVA and Duke was the only other one to no, go through games. I, I'm not going to give you that one because Duke won the first game, but then Virginia beat them by 10 the next two games. That's fair. You know, they beat they beat them by in the final two games they beat them by a combined 20 runs. So I'm not <laughs> going to really tell you. It went to a third game, but it was as because non-competitive <laughs> of the last two games there could be. That's fair. Uh, so uh, with the exception of the first game, Virginia mowed through their regional LSU mowed over Kentucky 
uh, Florida mowed over South Carolina. Yeah. I feel like I'm missing one regional somewhere. Uh, TCU, TCU beat up on Indiana State. Yeah, yeah that, that wasn't close either. For Indiana State. And so we're, we're going to look here at College World Series matchups now. Uh, but I think the teams you're really choosing from are the teams that obviously mowed through the competition. This, I mean, yeah. SEC bias tells me that LSU and Florida should be reckoned with. However, Wake Forest has made every single team that they've faced all year long look absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, they are now uh, 49, 40, 50. They're 51 and 10 on the season. They've only lost 10 ball games all year. They're just they're dominant baseball team. They're just whipping people. And the next victim is Stanford. Stanford's coming in with a lot of emotion after a big emotion went off of Texas. Wake Forest is just, they're the team to beat in my mind until they prove otherwise. They've got great pitching. They hit really well. I don't know that Stanford can can hang with them, but that's the first half of that bracket. The other part of that bracket is LSU and Tennessee, two SEC foes. LSU, like you said, kind of cakewalked up to this point. You know Tennessee is probably going to face Paul Skeens in that first game so he can have some time to rest for later. I don't know that I like UT's chances against LSU, which is on paper and when healthy, the best, the most talented team in the country. So on one side of the bracket, we've got Wake Forest, Stanford, LSU, and Tennessee. Tennessee, yep. So the most important part, uh, and this is spoken from somebody uh, who has just watched a their favorite college baseball team win a national championship and go through and win every game except for one in the College World Series. There's nothing more important in the College World Series than winning your first game. Absolutely. And so you look at Wake Forest and Stanford, and you look at Tennessee and LSU, and if you could tell me who wins the first game on either side, I can probably tell you who's going to be facing off late because Mm – in Ole Miss's case, it was Ole Miss, Auburn, Arkansas, and Stanford. Ole Miss started out 2-0, and Arkansas beating Arkansas in the second game. Then Arkansas had to beat Ole Miss twice, and they couldn't do it. So it's very important. Just like the, the way college baseball is set up is you've got regionals, you've got super regionals, then you go to Omaha, and you play regionals, and then the finals is a super regionals. That's how it's set up. <laughs> You just do the whole thing again. And so you look at a guy, LSU being able to throw a guy like Paul Skeens in game one is huge. Now, Tennessee's got plenty of guys that can throw 100 miles an hour. Uh, So I guess it just matters who is hot. I don't think there's a lineup better in the NCAA than LSU no. hitting it you've got no. enough starting pitching to get through it uh to stay in the winner's bracket at least in the first two games to stay in the winner's bracket uh, so i like lsu and wake forest obviously on that side of the bracket on that on the top side of the bracket i agree uh, i think that an lsu wake forest teams. winner's bracket game would be electric oh my gosh what a baseball but, game but wake forest has got to stay in that winner's bracket i don't know how much pitching they've got you know, 
According to D1 Baseball's rankings, they had four of the top ten relievers and starters at the end of the year. So they've got some pitching depth, but I don't – again, they play in the ACC. You know, you had Miami, you had Virginia, Duke, Wake Forest. You don't really – I don't really know what the ACC has as much. SEC bias coming out there. The, allegedly, they have some some good pitching depth, but you and I both know that's what it all comes down to is can you pitch when you get to Omaha? Because especially if you get in that loser's bracket and you're playing four or five games in a row, it's hard to get out of that if you don't have enough arms. And that ballpark is not a ballpark that really rewards hitters either. Not anymore. I mean, I'm sorry, it does reward hitters. It doesn't reward pitchers. So when you get into it, you've got to be able to find somebody to pitch. I know – uh, Ole Miss went. You, you. They had two legit aces in Dylan DeLucia, who won the uh, College World Series MVP, and Hunter Elliott. And then you had to get a start from somebody else. Yeah. And that one start ended up being in a loss. But that first, uh, second time we played Arkansas, and lost, you got an amazing start from your best bullpen arm. And then because you lost that game, you had to throw. Uh, we threw another bullpen arm in the championship series. Yeah. Uh, and Jack Doherty was perfect for five innings. And so that's what you've got to look at. You've got to have this pitching. Yeah. In 2021, you know, we had Will Bednar, we had Landon Sims on the, as a starter and a closer that were just dominant. And then we lost to Texas heading into that semifinals. And so we lost to Texas and then had to beat them in order to play Vanderbilt for the national championship. And we had to rely on somebody else. You got that star from Hootie from, um, oh my gosh, his, his uh, name just left me. It's, uh, I was Darius saying Rucker. No. Oh, he pitches for the Diamondbacks now. It'll come to me here in a minute. But we got to start from Hootie, who was able to find that win, be that extra pitcher for us to get us into that championship series. Like you said, you've got to have your ace. You've got to have that get that guy that can that can go out and get you a quality start, but it's those other guys, those contributors, those secondary pitchers who can, who can find up. a way to be hot. Right. Right. You've got to have that fourth. You've got to be able to go to a fourth pitcher that can get you innings. If nothing else, eat up innings. Oh, my God. Hunter Harding. That was going to drive me nuts. He's from DeSoto Central from just outside of Memphis. Uh, was the ex- that pitcher that we needed. Yeah. So it wasn't Darius Rucker. No, it was not Darius Rucker. Same nickname, but not not Darius Rucker. But on the other side of the bracket, we now have Florida facing off against the Virginia Cavaliers in the top half of the bracket. In the bottom, we have Oral Roberts, the Golden Eagles, facing off against TCU. So it's pretty good matchups on that side from what baseball we've seen. An SEC powerhouse, Virginia, who walked all the way through Duke in the last two games, as you said. Oral Roberts, who just feels like that team that's just finding ways to win right now. And TCU, who might have got a break by being able to host that Super Regional. Shout out to the Special Olympics being hosted in Indiana. Yeah, to me, this comes down between two teams. Uh, Oral Roberts is a great story, and by all means, I hope that they make a run in it. Uh, There has been a four seed that's won this whole tournament before, and there's only been three Four, this makes the third four seed that's ever made the tournament. So before this year, four seeds are 50-50. If you make the College <laughs> World Series, 50% of the time you're winning. You won it. <laughs> yeah. So I hope they keep riding it. Uh, if I'm Florida, I'm looking at this bracket, and I'm just like, bring it on. Just this is ours to lose. You just got to be. Because it's all dependent on that first game. 
Mm-hmm. And Virginia's got Jake Geloff. He's incredible. He he should be on the uh, Golden Spikes Awards finalist, even though he's not. He's incredible. 20-something home runs this year. Uh, but then you've got the bottom half of that bracket, and it's Oral Roberts and TCU. TCU's a two-seed. Uh they hosted a regional, like you said, based on losses because they put out Arkansas mm-hmm. and because the Indiana State didn't have the capacity to hold a, a super regional crowd. They've probably the hottest hitting team to walk into Omaha right now. Yeah, after hanging so they 20 on Arkansas twice. Lightly. Yeah. But the winner of that Florida-Virginia game will be the betting favorite. It will be the only team I would put money on on that side of the bracket. Is whoever wins that game, and I have I've seen I saw Florida in person this year. They're good. They're very good. You looked at Southern Miss. You know they lost in the Super Regionals again this year. The number their number two starter that they had last year, Hurston Waldrop, pitched what was it eight innings of zero or one runs allowed in that super regional against yeah. South Carolina, a team that they've already seen. Yeah. He mowed them down. Yeah. And so, uh, and then you've got your first baseman that's going to pitch in the third game that they play it. Jack Caglione <laughs> yeah. is incredible. Yeah. In the meantime, you going to hit bombs. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, I'm all in on Florida on that side of the bracket. The, you know, the only thing that can stop a good offense is a, is a great pitcher. Mm-hmm. And Florida's got them. Yeah. And so um, we'll see what happens. But regardless of what happens, if it's for Florida or Virginia, that's who's coming out of that side of the bracket. They're, I don't think they're in the driver's team. Seat. Yeah. I don't know that Florida could beat Virginia two times later. Just like I don't know if Virginia could beat Florida two times after the first game. So it yeah. it's really comes down to that for me. I agree. Speaking of pitching performances, I didn't want to talk about this. Back up to the Stanford team. Did you see the effort that Quinn Matthews put in against Texas? Man, he pitched 156 pitches in a complete game win. And then in the post-game interview said, hey, if they need me to get two outs tomorrow, I can do it. And just like, guys, he's just a dude, man. Just went out there, slung slung it, helped Stanford win 156 pitches to get that win. That was an incredible gutsy performance in the Super Regionals. That was the second game, right? Second game. What was the final score to that? Do you know? I'll look and see. Look and see, because I want to make a point. 156 pitches for a college pitcher is irresponsible. <laughs> that, yeah. That, I mean, I don't know that you can honestly, given a week's time now, from that game to their next, his next pitching performance, 156 pitches has never been done by him before. Can yeah. you really expect him to perform at – and give you the length after pitching 156 pitches in a game on Saturday night. So Stanford won eight to three. He gave up eight hits, struck out 16 with 156 pitches. Stanford had 15 hits, but his final stat line okay, was so nine innings, eight hits, three earned runs, one walk, 16 strikeouts. He threw 103 strikes on 156 pitches. All right, so you can't tell me this, but uh, I would like to know how many pitches he had 
going into the ninth inning. Because yeah. at 156 pitches, you're up by five runs. Are you telling me that you don't have a closer? I know they do. I watched him pitch the other day. He's good. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I don't know. Unless you know, you're a league that is just riddled with Tommy John injuries. I mean, yeah. it just. He gave up two runs in the third, one run in the seventh. So the ninth inning seems like it was very uneventful. No, no, no hit, uh, no uh, runs anyway. So do you give another guy a shot when you're out five? I don't know, but still gutsy performance on the kid to throw 156 pitches and strike out 16. Yeah. Props to him. I know, uh, in Omaha last year, it was a one to nothing game against Arkansas and the winner goes to the finals. It was one nothing, and I'm sorry, it was two nothing, and he put Dylan Delucia back out in the game to throw a complete game shutout in Omaha, and it's stuff legends are made of. Honestly, mm-hmm. yeah. that guy will be up there in Stanford lore forever yeah. for that performance, especially and if they to win him. a title. Yeah, but if he if he blows out in Omaha, yeah, you know. You there. That's when you'll have to answer questions. Dylan Delucia, if you didn't get every single pitch out of him that game against that team, then then you don't go to the the final series against Oklahoma. Yep. Yeah. So. But yeah, tune in this weekend. We got the College World Series queuing up. It's going to be a great, great weekend of baseball again, Drew. I'm excited about some of these matchups. I think the Florida Virginia game will be great. It's going to set up for some greater games later in the brackets, but. Tune in. If you're not a college baseball fan, this is the weekend to watch. You definitely want to make sure you catch those games. Well, as promised, we'll get to our last yeah, topic. If you've, if you've hung with us this long, hang in there. We've gotten to the most important topic for anybody south of the Virginia line. And that's the SEC announced to last night the 2024 conference schedule. So... For those of you keeping up, those you may not know, if you've been living under a rock, Texas and Oklahoma are joining the SEC next year in the 2024 season. So the SEC met in Destin, Florida last week for their 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 summer meetings and got together and they worked out a schedule for 2024 where they eliminate East and West and they went with an eight-game conference schedule. We kind of highlighted it on the podcast episode in the last couple of weeks that they're going to stay with eight. They didn't go with nine. And after seeing the Mississippi State schedule particularly, I'm grateful they didn't go with with nine because we probably would have added one more difficult road game in what's already going to be a tough season. But, Drew, I know we talked about it some last night. I mean, it was was a great – ESPN did a great job announcing it. It was a cool show, fun to watch. I've got some thoughts on Mississippi State, some of the other schedules that came out, but initial gut reactions to the announcement of the schedules last night. Yeah, so just to set the stage just a little bit more, you're going to 16 teams this in 2024 and Texas and Oklahoma. They are getting rid of divisions. They are not scheduling football schedules based on divisions anymore. You'll see this as we go down the list here. But, for instance, Ole Miss, uh, we will not be playing Alabama. We will not be playing Auburn. Uh we will be however we will be playing Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, and Kentucky. That's four SEC East games, or former SEC East games. And you're only playing uh one, two, three SEC West games in Oklahoma. 
So forget what you think you know about divisions. There is no East and there is no West anymore. Yep. So the really the only way to grade these schedules is looking at who you used to play and who you currently play. So Ole Miss, their away schedule will be Arkansas, Florida, LSU, and South Carolina. And their home schedule will be Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Oklahoma. My first reaction to the Ole Miss schedule is, one, it's going to be a lot of fun in the first year to have Oklahoma come to Oxford. Mm -hmm. I think of the two teams, I would rather play Oklahoma in 2024 than I would rather play Texas. I think Texas is trending higher than Oklahoma right now. Uh, because we just really don't know what Venables is going to do at Oklahoma and if that trajectory will stay the same trajectory and the same expectation that Lincoln Riley had it at. Two, you dodged Alabama and Auburn. And Auburn kind of goes 50-50 for Ole Miss most of the time anyways. It's 50-50 at home, rather. Uh, You lose most of them on the road. Uh, But you kept Arkansas – LSU, and Mississippi State. So what I'm thinking is that they probably did this, they looked at it maybe in pods. You know, we talked about four-team pods before, and we would have said, I would have said that the Ole Miss pod should be Mississippi State, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and LSU. That's what I would have wanted. And it looks like that's what we got. Now, whether or not that's what they did when they were drafting this schedule or not, I couldn't tell you. Um, but I really have to pour one out. It's really a shame on the SEC to not recognize the greatest rivalry in the SEC and Ole Miss not being able to continue the rivalry with Vanderbilt. (laughs) I knew that was coming. (laughs) The Chucky Mullins game will be dead forever. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to keep that as an Ole Miss fan. We care so much about that Vanderbilt game and it's a shame that we're not keeping it. I mean, you look at Mississippi State here. I'll get um, to that. They ke- they kept their rivalry with Georgia. I think they should play Georgia every year. So why can't we play Vanderbilt every year? Speaking of Mississippi State, oh my God, <laughs> we got a big screw you from the SEC. In you know, so backing up just a little bit, yeah. So the pot idea, I do like that idea. I'm curious if that's what they did, except for we dropped LSU, so we don't play LSU. We we dodged a bullet. We don't play LSU for the first time since 1947. We don't play Auburn for the first time since the mid-30s. We don't play Alabama for the first time. The last time Mississippi State and Alabama didn't play was 1936. I'm a fan of traditional rivals. They kick our butt every year. But I'm going to miss that game. But not enough to bemoan the fact that we don't have to play Alabama in 2024. But all they did was in a season where our non-conference game is at Arizona State. So we traveled to Tempe for a road game in non-conference. Then our SEC road schedule is at Georgia, at Tennessee, who's trending up, at Texas, who's trending up, and then we play Little Brother in Oxford. Our home schedule is Arkansas, Florida, Missouri, and A&M. They're trying to make us be a rival with A&M, which is fine. We're 3-2 and two against Jimbo Fisher. It's are fine. They, we, are they really trying to make you a rival with Texas Absolutely. A&M? We nobody, play them all the time. They're, nobody, you play them all the time because they were in the same division And as they're you. hyping it nobody up Nobody cares there. about a Mississippi State-Texas A&M rivalry. They hype it up every year on ESPN. If the, in the pregames, they talk about these are the former military schools. There's all this pride in agriculture 
agriculture and all this stuff, and they hype it up as two agricultural schools. I'm that telling is, you, it's a rivalry they're trying to make nothing to do happen. with a rivalry. I'm telling agricultural you, agricultural schools. I'm telling you, it's a You're rivalry they're trying to make the, happen. That's the basis of a rivalry these days is agricultural it's, institutions that have the same colors. Give I'm me on, a break. I'm on your side. I think it's stupid, but it's one that they've tried to make ever since A&M came to the SEC. I think it's dumb. Drop A&M. Let us play LSU. Let's play somebody else. Let's play Auburn. That's been a great game for us. But instead, we've got Arkansas. Yeah, we can Florida, replay that 3-2 to two game all the time. Yeah. And Missouri <laughs> at home. So we got a big screw you from the SEC, man. That's rough. Rough. Oh, and the please, other part about that. It's not any rougher than anybody else. Get out you're of here. playing you're in the SEC. So, the problem, problem is you can't on, look on. at that schedule and see anybody that you're going to beat. That's what you you're through, griping about. You go, but you go to Athens, you go to Austin, and then in the original 2024 schedule, Tennessee was coming to Starkville, so they switched that to a road game. Now that we now have to go to Knoxville, so well, that are three what? teams that are only. Playing, you could anyway. be playing at Alabama, so you're really going to gripe about going to Tennessee. I, that's a tough place to go play. And a team that's trending it's up, not, like I, we look at some of the others. So we'll go to some of the other. You SEC. can talk about bad environments to go play in if you want to. I'd rather play against bad teams, you know. <laughs> so play against Tennessee. The option, the other alternative, is Alabama. No, that's not my only other option. We could have went to Missouri, played Tennessee, and Starkville. We could have played at Art. We could have played be at Missouri any, one way or the other. At Vanderbilt, like you could have went anywhere. But instead, okay. so let Mississippi State fan, he wants a schedule that consists of Missouri, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. That's, not what I'm saying. that's the, the only point, way it would be fair. No, the, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. The only the point I'm making is like we had a home game against one of these tougher teams, and they took it away from us and put it in Knoxville. That game should have been in Starkville, where it was originally supposed to be played. Yeah, but it's, it was originally supposed to be played there before they decided to add in Texas and Oklahoma. But we weren't supposed to play. We weren't supposed to play Texas. We weren't supposed to play Missouri either. So why did one of them have to become the home game, or the Missouri game have to be home game? Why don't we play at Columbia? I'm just all I'm saying. Matter? I mean, yeah. Missouri doesn't matter. We're going to win either way. I like our chances against Tennessee and Starville better than I do in Knoxville based on current trajectories of that team. But I mean, either way, it's a it's a tough road slate in the SEC. Going to Austin, it's, Knoxville, and Athens. But that's that's my point. You look at any single team in the SEC now. You're playing eight games against the SEC teams, and unless you're Alabama or Georgia or LSU, you're nobody's going to look at this schedule and think they're going to win six games. Yeah. I mean, unless you unless you want a schedule that says. Missouri, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt, which then won't you just go play in the American Conference? Which is not what I'm asking for, but I, your point is very valid. They're all, I just don't, like we're in the SEC. It's yeah, rough. I, I just, I have a hard time just saying, oh, they've got in vendetta against Mississippi State. I mean, Ole Miss I, is, you know, Ole Miss is playing Georgia as well. I mean, all. it's a loss. Who cares? <laughs> Sure, I'd rather play Georgia on the road and play Arkansas at home, but I don't want to play at Fayetteville either. You know, yeah. that that's the game that's more of a toss-up that matters whether it's home or away. And I guess that's what you're saying with Tennessee. That's exactly the point a, I'm trying to make. A, yeah, but 
Like it doesn't I matter. Mean, wherever we play at, Georgia, wherever South we play Carolina, Texas, they wherever play. we play Georgia and Texas, we're gonna get beat. Playing Florida at home is a much better opportunity for us than going to Gainesville. Playing not Tennessee at home is a much better opportunity for us to get a win. I like I would bet we had a, a much better chance of beating them in Starkville than we do in Knoxville. You know, and if they threw a bone to anybody, it was Vanderbilt. They play at Auburn, at Kentucky, at LSU, and at Missouri. So, you know, that's yeah. that's who they threw a bone to. One uh, one right one game I'm excited to watch though that doesn't relate to either one of our teams is Tennessee at Oklahoma. Josh Heupel going back to where he won a Heisman and carried that team to a national championship. Is taking his current team, Tennessee, out to play at Oklahoma in 2024, and that's going to be a cool game. Yeah, that, that will absolutely be cool. I know in the SEC in the SEC Network broadcast that they were showing this, they were all hot and bothered over Alabama and Georgia playing in the regular season. I think it's great, and that's fine. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Uh, I do like. I like. I'm most interested in in what. Uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Texas are doing, mm-hmm. but those are those are fun. Like any, I want to watch any game that they're in in the yeah. SEC just to see how they stack up. Texas yeah, plays, the, yeah, go ahead at Arkansas, which look out, Texas at Arkansas. Yeah, that's, that's a they, They've dude. got to play every single year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas plays at Arkansas. They're going to do that. Apparently, they're going to do a stupid. Neutral site game between Texas and Oklahoma and Dallas. In Dallas. Yeah. They play Texas A&M, which they need to play every single That's year. That's another rivalry. At Kyle dude. Field. Mm-hmm. You know that Ross Bjork and all of Texas A&M was like, we are not going to Austin in the first year. They will come to us. Absolutely. You know? They put his foot down. <laughs> and then they play at Vanderbilt, which, I mean, God help them. <laughs> uh, and then uh, they'll play – Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, and Mississippi State at home. That's a welcome to the uh, SEC slate, man, getting Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> and Oklahoma will play at Auburn, LSU, Missouri, and Ole Miss. That's not a very bad road schedule. Mm-hmm. And home against Alabama, South Carolina, Tennessee, and then they will be the home team in a neutral site game against Texas and Dallas. In Dallas. <laughs> Which, explain that to me. Yeah. Oklahoma's going to go play in Dallas as the home team against Texas. It's stupid. Yeah. Ban neutral site games. Ban yeah. neutral site games for bowl games. Ban neutral site games for playoff games, national yeah. championship games. Play every single college football game in a home stadium. I couldn't agree more because look what happened with last year with Texas and Alabama. The Alabama needed a bailout because they don't play true road games. They play all their road games in Atlanta or in Dallas or on these in Jacksonville in neutral fields. They go to Austin and almost got handed a loss last year outside of some some lucky plays and what what have you. But miss uh, miss extra point right miss extra points and then now we're they're going to play at LSU at Oklahoma, at Tennessee, and then they got a bone by playing at Vanderbilt. But that's three tough road games next year after losing to Tennessee in, in, in Knoxville this past season. And then they get Auburn, Georgia, which will be just a phenomenal game at home, Missouri and South Carolina. Yeah. I The schedule's hard. I mean, don't get it wrong. Don't get it twisted. Uh, everybody's schedule's hard, though. Have and you so, seen Florida's overall schedule? Yeah, it's brutal. So they, because they've got Miami, yeah. Florida State, Florida Central State. Florida, yeah. and the SEC slate. Florida's yeah. schedule is looking tough. But you know what? Props to Florida for playing. That's it. how yeah. schedules should look. 
Yes. I would rather have an eight and four team that plays a schedule like that than an eleven and one team that plays four cupcakes. Yep. I have so much respect for that. Yeah. It, that's the main reason why I wanted nine SEC games. You think this schedule's bad? Wait till they put a ninth game on there. <laughs> yeah. And instead of playing UT Martin, you're playing, I don't know, South Carolina on the road. Yeah. Like, or, you know, heaven forbid you add Georgia in there. Or, I and mean, y'all got Georgia, but. Uh, with the with the expansion that's happened, the, the, the next step they're talking about of bringing Clemson and Florida State, that's not going to get any easier with those two yeah. teams coming to the SEC. That's it's going to be weird. I don't really know where the SEC goes next. Part of me thinks that the SEC goes to, of course, they would love to. I think they would love to get a team like North Carolina and Duke before you would go Clemson and Florida State because it enhances basketball. They've made all these moves for football, but, but what's the cash bas- cow? What makes the money? I get They're it, going to chase but you're money. making all the money anyways. Why not make more? They're going to make look. I mean, look at the PGA. You're well, making wait, all the why money not make the more. same amount of money in both sports? If you can corner the market in two sports, it's better than increasing your margin in the sport you already dominate. It's a valid point, but it's not like the the money is football, and they're going to chase the money, and that's why the rumors are early on that it's going to be Clemson and Florida State because they're they're just better football teams. Basketball is such an afterthought. We just happen to be good at it. A lot of different schools in the SEC, but it, football is where you make your money. Football is what pays for the on-campus buildings. Football is what pays for the band trips and the grants but, and all this stuff. It's football. Yeah, man. but make that argument about Kentucky though. Like you know what's the cash cow, Kentucky? Yeah, but now their football team is a lot better than their basketball yeah, but that's team. That's fine, but yeah, their cash cow is basketball. You but go they, get Kansas, or yeah, you that, go get uh, Kentucky is I mean, the one off. Kentucky was the one that was making us money in basketball in the SEC. Football overall, across like if you look at basketball, you have I Kentucky agree overall, in, and then overall the go, money comes in from football. But if you're looking at it from a championship perspective, and you want to say that we've got the last X amount of national champions in football, and you then you go and add, uh, just say Duke and North Carolina or North Carolina and Kansas to go, you know, one on each side, you know, you look at what you can offer in basketball as well. I'm just saying there's no downside to it. Sure. You get for a football fan of a middle of the road, SEC school, like we are, wouldn't you love to add in North oh, yeah. Carolina and Kansas Listen. into that football pool to potential players? Give me Memphis, right? <laughs> Give me no, somebody else. I don't want Memphis. Memphis but, belongs in the Atlantic, Ten. In well, put them tier. in the swag. <laughs> no, I don't want. I don't want any part of Memphis. They don't belong here. They don't belong in the Big Twelve. They don't belong in the ACC. They don't belong in the Power Five. They need to stay exactly where they're at or lower. <laughs> I don't. Under, I don't understand why they're getting. Why they think they're owed anything other than the only thing that they have going for them is Penny Hardaway and FedEx. Mm-hmm. Like they offer nothing else to the civilization as a whole. In terms of the, of the university. Huh? They have one of the worst football stadiums. Exactly. And Fred Smith has said, we will build a facility if you will let them go into the Big 12. And the Big 12 still doesn't want them. But no, but- Fred Smith says, we'll build a new stadium and be the title sponsor of the Big 12 championship game. And they don't want them. Why would we take them? Yeah. I the just, Big that tier. 
Somebody around that tier would be no, what, what I, I would want. No, but I think what we're finding out is that tier, they don't belong in that tier. Because they've po- – you know, UCF has moved up. Houston has moved up. Uh, uh, SMU moved Cincinnati up. Cincinnati moved I up. I mean, Cincinnati moved up. So Memphis is not in that tier with those people. Yeah. They were in the same conference as those people, but they're not on that tier, or they would have – they're not as – remotely as desirable as those teams. I mean, there's talk of San Diego State going into the Pac-10 before Memphis is even addressed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I would not want to add, I would, yeah, for a football standpoint, a Duke-North Carolina makes much more sense to a middle-of-the-road team, but from a revenue standpoint, you get in Clemson, who is now one of those schools that have won championships in the last eight, ten years, that's just that much more prestige for the SEC. It's that much more money coming in. You've got the history that is Florida State. And Florida State is trending in the right direction because they're, like, there's no reason that Florida, Florida State, Miami should ever be bad with all the talent that's in Florida. An but argument those, could be made, though, that Clemson is going the other way, though, that their best sure. days are behind them. Sure. We'll see this year when they get a new quarterback and they get a new opportunity. We'll see what they do on defense without Venerables for another year. But they got rid of, you know – uh, DJ is now out at Oregon State, and so I mean I don't disagree. They they've definitely trended down, but they've also got another great recruiting class that just came in. The SEC has met its quota of teams that wear orange. That's Ooh, where I'll leave point. it. Good yeah. point. Good point. Now I don't want another then, one. And then Florida a conference State matchup: in. Tennessee and Clemson in a conference matchup. That was <laughs> disgusting. That's gross. It was bad enough in the bowl game. <laughs> And then you add another team that's in that maroon garnet family in Florida State. Let's go fresh blood. Give me North Carolina, that Tar Heel blue, and, and Duke blue. <laughs> yeah. Give me Virginia, Virginia Tech. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Oh, man. I'd love to go see man. a game in Blacksburg. Oh, my gosh. Which, you know, speaking of, like, that's a road trip that I would seriously consider making is the Austin. Uh, go to Austin, watch Mississippi State play at Texas. That'd be cool just to go experience that. And Blacksburg been, would be quickly on that list. I've been to, to Austin one time. Uh, for South by Southwest Festival. Yeah. Uh, back when I was rocking and rolling. And it is just as weird as you hear. I hope so. I want to go watch Mississippi State get their butt kicked and just enjoy Austin for the weirdness that it is. <laughs> yeah. So I would go watch Mississippi State get their butt kicked. That'd be awesome. Hey, we could take this Two Bucks Sports Podcast on the road down to Austin. We need some sponsors before that happens. So if you're listening to this podcast and you'd like to be a sponsor, <laughs> we'll do a pre-roll, we'll do a mid-roll, we'll let you sponsor a segment. You tell us what you want, and we will make it happen if we can go to Austin. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing. We want an all-expense-paid trip to Austin, Texas with mm-hmm. a recording studio, and we will record as many podcasts as you would want. While as we're many there. Po- we'll talk about your product, whatever it may be, as much as you want from Austin, Texas, while I root for Mississippi State. Andrew roots actively against them. Yeah. So uh, the terms of this would be room and board, obviously. And uh, you're going to have to sweet talk my wife as well, because she's going to be the one that uh, stays at home with the three kids and a dog. <laughs> so she's going to need, she's going to need a prize pack as well. That's right. That's right. But well, that's, all yeah, I that's got. what I've got to say. I, I think it's fun. I think uh, the horizon for the SEC is, is very fun. Like I, I like these little wrinkles. I like adding new stuff in there, uh, especially since Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, to me, they have they bring a lot more clout to the SEC than the original expansion when they brought in Texas A&M and Missouri. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't excited to mm-hmm. play them. I'm genuinely excited to see 
Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC and how they fare, uh, I think it's going to add just a ton of competition. It's going to make it a lot harder, but it, it makes it harder evenly. Mm-hmm. You're not going to say it makes it only harder for Mississippi State, and I'm not going to say it makes it only harder for Ole Miss. Uh, it makes it harder for Alabama, too, because you've seen they played an Iowa conference game against Texas last year. Uh, we've seen them play Oklahoma and lose before in bowl games, and and then they played in playoff games. These are teams that are good, and it will equally challenge the whole conference. Yep, I agree. And, I think it'll be good. And at least in 2024, every single original member of the SEC will play either Oklahoma or Texas. Yep. So – Maybe that's what it is. Maybe Oklahoma replaced Vanderbilt, but just for one year. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. And we'll get the Chucky Mullins game back. Yeah, and then y'all can play Kentucky again, and we'll play Vanderbilt from here on out. I'm kind of glad to not be playing Kentucky. I'm over playing Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over that series. <laughs> so. Well, that's all I got, Buckets. Uh, why don't you tell them where to, find them where to find us at, and we'll wrap this one up for tonight. You know where we're at, at number two buck sports pod on Twitter, Instagram, the two buck sports podcast on Facebook. Look us up wherever you get your podcasts at Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Give us a like, share, follow, comment what you thought was funny, comment where you thought we were wrong. Tell us you hate us as long as you give us a five star review. We don't care. Just let us know you're there. And in the meantime, y'all be good until we see y'all back here next week. See you guys.